Well, good morning, holy friends. My name is David King, and it is both wonderful and weird to be standing here. It's wonderful because our pastor, Brian, has asked me to stand in this place. This is a place of declaration. This is what Moody used to call the holy desk. This place of declaration belongs to Jesus. He's the Lord of the church, but every pastor is called the steward of this place, and to have that honor is a wonderful thing, and to have the honor of all of you here and allowing me to speak what I believe Jesus is speaking to all of us is, is a, a wonderful thing. It's weird because I'm not speaking to you as your pastor. Uh, I did it for 15 years uh, as one of the pastors here at York Alliance, but now I'm a brother uh, in the Lord and, and not your pastor, and that's weird, and it's wonderful. Hey, learn a little Hebrew with me, will you please? Uh, the letters that don't look like English there on the left side in the middle. Say them with me. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. See, you speak Hebrew. Isn't that great? Two words, you know. I'll teach you one later, another one later. You know what Shalom means, right? What's Shalom mean in Hebrew? Peace. Do you know what Shabbat means? Very good. Sabbath peace. Sabbath peace. It's a greeting that uh, Jewish people use today when they gather and worship Yahweh. They don't worship the, the God and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they greet each other by saying, Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace. I don't know about you, but for a long time that was an oxymoron to me. There was nothing about Sabbath that seemed like peace to me. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and so Sabbath was kind of a drudgery, quite honestly. I grew up on the campus of Nyack. At the time, it was called Nyack Missionary College. My father was on the faculty there. And uh, my little house is in the red circle down there. See at the bottom? The junior high school is behind it on this side, of the bottom side of the picture. We were right on the edge of Nyack's property. The campus was that way. See the big question mark in the yellow circle? That was in my heart every Sunday. Sunday had nothing to do with Sabbath for me. Sunday was a day when I couldn't use that empty soccer field. None of the students were there. Why? Because the regulations of the campus were you couldn't, you couldn't play sports on Sunday. And so that empty field was just wasted, and I could see it from my, my room was on the front corner of that house. It was torture every Sunday. Sunday had nothing to do with Sabbath for me. Sunday was a day when I didn't get to do what I wanted. And see, see the bubble room? Right beside the bubble room is a gymnasium. Wonderful basketball court, beautiful floor in there. And no one was in there on Sunday. And my dad had the key. Even though he wasn't the athletic director, the athletic director gave him a key. So he could go in there anytime he wanted to. Why not Sunday? There's no one there. I could have it all to myself. I had to take a nap. <laughs> so Sunday was like, I didn't believe in purgatory, but that's what it was like. It was horrible. All this opportunity, I just looked longingly at that empty field. I had the soccer ball, put my cleats on and sit in my bedroom. How about you? Say words, let me say words like Sabbath commandment, 
law. Be honest in your heart. Are those words that you say, well, that, those are happy words to me. Law, I love it. I love law. Commandment, <laughs> yes. Give me more commandments. Sabbath. What have we done to these things? I'm going to show you in a moment that, that God gave those, not just words, but those gifts to us. Because they're good things, but not in most of our minds, if we're really honest. At the very best, often, well, let me first finish the story. It was ironic. My dad didn't believe that it was wrong to play tennis or basketball or soccer on the Sabbath. He just said, you can't do it because those are the rules of the campus. I'm sorry. I respected that. But here's the greater irony. I was really shaped by that. It was legalism at its finest. But I was really shaped by having to stop. I didn't want to stop. When you're 11 or 12 years old, you don't want to stop. You go all the time. Except when you fall down exhausted at the end of the day. Only to wake up and do it again. But I was shaped by that. I'm going to show you this morning. I want to show us this morning. That Sabbath is a gift that we can't live without. We can't follow Jesus without it. And the reason God insists is like any good father would insist on giving good gifts to his children. We're going to look at not the Exodus 20 version of the fourth commandment, but the Deuteronomy 5 version. And I'll show you why that's important and what some of the differences are in just a moment. Bethany, come read God's word for us. From, reading from Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a, day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Not my words, but your words be spoken. Not my message, but your message to your people today. These holy friends don't need the work of my study. We need the visitation of your spirit right now. So teach us, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Save me from myself as I speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Why the differences? Why, why two sets of Ten Commandments? Why Exodus 20? Why Deuteronomy 5 together? Isn't one version enough? 
Well, the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, particularly the sections of the law, actually contain a lot of the same material, though they don't, all, don't always tell the material. They don't always present the material in the same way. There are a few reasons for this. But the main reason for the duplicate accounts is this. The Exodus account was written down by Moses as a description of what Moses did after he came down from the mountain. When he was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, when he came down, he told the story of how he, he told the people for the first time, this is what God said up there. On the other hand, the Deuteronomy account is what Moses did when he reviewed that story with Israel just before he died. In the months, maybe up to a year before he died, the sermons and speeches and teachings that he did to remind Israel, remember what he said on the mountain 40 years ago. Now, of course, he'd been teaching them all along, but this was his, basically his famous last words. And it was written down as Moses' epitaph, as it were, as his last farewell speech. And you can read beyond, you know, beyond Deuteronomy 5 that, that that Bethany just read for us, you can read Moses saying again and again in the chapters that follow, don't forget the Lord your God. He brought you out of Egypt, but he brought you out of Egypt for this. And here's what's going to happen. It's not sin or enemies or, or the devil that's going to waylay you primarily. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go into the land. You're going to prosper. You're going to become wealthy. You're going to build houses. And you're going to come to a point where you thought you did it. You're going to think you did it. You're going to forget that the Lord your God has done all of this for you. Don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. And of course, specifically in our passage, remember the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. So Exodus and Deuteronomy are telling the same story at different times and for different reasons. It's kind of like really Matthew, Mark, and Luke telling the story of Jesus, but from a different perspective. The same thing. They're saying the same thing. They're talking about the same Savior, but they're telling it from a different vantage point. That's what's happening in the Exodus 20 version of the Ten Commandments and the Deuteronomy 5 version. Let me show you some slight differences and then one major difference that I'd like to focus on this morning. First of all, notice in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, Moses uses the word observe. Now in the Exodus 20 version, Moses says, remember. Not remember, not, not, he doesn't say, remember the Sabbath again. This time in Deuteronomy, he says, observe the Sabbath. I only point out that uh, the slight difference is that Moses is presenting an action, not a thought. Something that moves forward, not just stops, okay? It's almost like he's putting them together saying, as you remember the Sabbath that God requires, I want you to observe, I want you to see, I want you to do something with this Sabbath time. So it's not just about what we don't do, it's about what we do. Verse 14 mentions uh, male and female servants, just like Exodus does, and it says, as well as you, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Both passages lift, list livestock. The Deuteronomy passage mentions donkey and ox. Hopefully none of the Israelites took that personally. Same list of people then, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your sojourner. Sorry, wives. That's a bummer. Pretty much the same list of people. But what I want to point out here is 
the social equalization going on here. All of a sudden, on the Sabbath day, all stand before God. The masters, the servants, the female, the male, the children, the animals, and yes, the visitors, the ones who are not residents. There's something, there's, there's some aspect of standing on even ground before a holy God who says, there's something I want you to do on this day different from the other days. Keep that in mind. Right in the middle of that, that you and your servants may rest. The word rest is in there. Rest, again, note, is a positive, something we do. Rest isn't just necessarily sitting still as much as moving into. You, you have to, well, don't we know? Does rest just happen to you ever? No. No, we have, we have to move into it. It's not, it's not just stopping from our work. It's entering into a rest. And of course, the New Testament writer to the Hebrews reiterates that. There's still a rest that remains to be entered into, a rest that God has for you. Pursue this rest. Do something versus don't do something. And didn't, wasn't I caught growing up on that Christian college campus if it was always about what you can't do? On, on, on Sunday, nobody talked to me about what I could do on the Sabbath other than take a nap, which wasn't very fun. This, I think, uh, the, the next verse really is the most significant difference, and this is the one I want to focus on. In verse 15, remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Now, the Exodus version, you can see, recalls that the Sabbath is an imitation of God. The rabbi that spoke last week mentioned this to us. Sabbath goes back to creation. It absolutely does. The reminder in Genesis, or the reminder here in Exodus about Genesis, is that because God did his work in six days and rested on the seventh day, that the human Sabbath is to be a reenactment in a way, a reflection of this truth somehow in a human way, since God ceased his work after six days to pause, look at his work and say, hey, that is very good what I've done. This is very good. Nothing needs to be done. Nothing needs to be added. No improvements made. God's work is perfect. That's what God said on the seventh day. And so we're to cease our work after six days as well, to pause and review God's work in us, not in a legalistic way, but actually in a way of celebration. Deuteronomy adds to this creation Sabbath in the Exodus version, by referencing not creation, but what? Deliverance from their slavery in Egypt. Exodus says, remember the creation Sabbath. Deuteronomy says, remember your deliverance from slavery. Not either or, but both and. Both of these are part of an important story. A couple of considerations came to mind. First of all, and I don't know if this is true or not, but there seems to be a connection between Moses talking about Remember your servants and your animals. They get to Sabbath as well. And then the next thing is, and remember when you were slaves. I wonder if it was in part very practically to sponsor compassion in their hearts and, and, and to be reminded, don't ever treat these servants as the slaves that you were treated as. Remember that you were slaves. Remember how it felt not to be servants or household helpers, but to be slaves. Don't do to others what was done to you. Remember, 
remember how it felt. Is that what Moses intended by putting those commands right together? I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I, I wonder if that sponsored some compassion. Remember when you were treated not as servants, but mistreated as slaves. I don't, I don't know if that's right or not. You can consider that for yourself. But what I do know is right is the profound principle that's coming out of this retelling of the fourth commandment. The way that Moses said it in his review is different than he said it in the first presentation. They don't conflict. They augment. They add to one another. What Moses is saying is that in the same way that God freed his people from physical slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, so the Sabbath day somehow, in a way we need to grasp, is God's ongoing, daily, mighty hand and outstretched arm, or I should say weekly, mighty hand and outstretched arm way for his people to not just go back and experience the freedom again, but to continue that freedom, to continue to live in it by remembering that you were slaves, there was nothing you could do about it, and God did this thing. Just as his work was perfect in creation, so his deliverance from, from Egypt for all of you was miraculous and powerful. There is no God like our God. Remember, observe, not just what you don't do, but what you do. In this way, the Sabbath day command becomes not such a bad thing. In this way, as, as God calls this remembrance to mind and this rehearsal to mind, remember that you were slaves. This Sabbath day starts to become a bit of an invitation, a bit of an opportunity to maintain the freedom that God gave them when they first walked out of Egypt. Pastor Brian has said to us many times in this series uh, on spiritual formation that, that being formed in the, into the people of God is a process. It, it took only a few days to get God's people out of Egypt. It took years to get Egypt out of the people. And even then, by the end of the story, the job really wasn't finished, was it? If Sabbath observance ever becomes just a duty, just a ceremony, I ought to go to church. I ought to stop working. I ought to, ought to, ought to, should have, could have. If it ever really becomes that, I think Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy 5 telling of this commandment reminds us that God made the Sabbath for us, not to inhibit us or keep us from playing soccer when the field's empty. God didn't give us Sabbath to inhibit or deprive us. He gave us Sabbath to preserve us so we don't forget what he's done. It's a weekly review of the goodness of God. And so this law, observe the Sabbath, like all of God's law, is not for our restriction. It's for our benefit. And really, that's what the Scripture says. We've made Sabbath and commandment and law bad words by the way we act, by the, the rules that we surround them with. But God didn't. Here's one example. Look at Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. Doing what? Reviving. Say it again. Reviving. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, another word for His law, His revelation, is sure. What does it do? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, another word for his commandments and law, are right. 
What did he do to the heart? The rejoicing. Those are happy words, aren't they? They're not the first words that come to mind when you first think of commandment, law, Sabbath. But that's what God's word says about them. Reviving. Making wise. Rejoicing. That, that's God's version. That's God's heart and his purpose for the law. Would you please keep that in mind as we head toward another example of why the law is a gift? And then as we begin to form our own versions, the last thing we're going to do today, I mean, the thing that we're not going to do today is I'm not going to stand here, okay, now here's how you do the Sabbath. Number one, write it down, please. That's what we've done, right? We're not going to do that today. But what I'd like you to do is, is to keep some of these concepts in mind and say, okay, God, where have you been amazing? I couldn't miss it. You were great. You showed up. And, well, you're always great in showing up. Where did I miss it? Where, where am I not paying attention? Where am I distracted? Where do I really not need you to show up? Because I'm actually good at that part. Sabbath is a time with no condemnation to not only review the goodness of God, but to realize that he was still good and loving and present when I ignored him or excluded him from my life. And Sabbath is that safe place where we can say, oh man, I miss the joy of that situation. I miss the injection of the, the Spirit of God. I miss the benefit of your presence. You were there and I was just busy or worried or fearful or angry or sick or whatever and I missed it. Oh God, in, on this Sabbath day, show me your way. Show me your presence. Show me your glory. Keep in mind this gift of the law and let me show you one other reason that the law is a gift. I, I hope that you will be very blessed by this. It really has enlivened my heart. Let me talk about Pentecost. What? Pentecost and Sabbath? Bear with me. In the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks, why, why did they call it that? Well, because it was seven weeks and one day after Passover, the Feast of Weeks. It was called Shavuot. Can you say that with me? Shavuot. Say it again. Shavuot. So now you know Shabbat, Shalom, and Shavuot. You're really good. Shavuot was a late summer festival that originally commemorated the wheat harvest as the provision of God, the wheat harvest in the late summer in Israel. Over time, by tradition, Shavuot, what's called Pentecost in the New Testament, Shavuot for the Jews became also a time to remember the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai because that happened on Mount Sinai at about that same time of year before Israel ever had land or harvest or anything. And so after a while, the celebration of the harvest was conflated and put together with the celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So Shavuot was a celebration of the giving of the law. The New Testament word, the Greek word for Shavuot is Pentecost. Penta meaning 50, 50 days or seven weeks and one day after Passover, Pentecost was celebrated in the New Testament. Of course, our introduction to Pentecost is in the books of, book of Acts, and that's when the promised gift of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. It was given, poured out on the church in a miraculous way that saw thousands of people come into the kingdom of Jesus in, in one day. For believers in Jesus, still today, we use 
uh, Pentecost as a time to remember God's initial provision of his indwelling power and presence that's still with us, as Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory even now. Pentecost is every day in our lives. The Spirit has come. Hallelujah. If you were here on June 5th, you actually heard our worship Levites referring to Pentecost Sunday on June 5th. And of course, it moves every year because Passover moves every year as well. 50 days after Passover, seven weeks and a day is Shavuot, or Pentecost. Well, there's lots more to say about that, but let me make the point. One idea that impacts our understanding of the law, and specifically this fourth commandment. Pastor Charles Price, a former pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, said this, The law that Moses received was given not to show how bad we are, but rather to show how good we are not. Not to show how bad we are, to shame us, but to rather show how good we are not. More than that, the law is not just a list of ways to be holy. It, it certainly is that. It's a, it's a list of holiness evidences. But more than that, the law is a picture of God's perfect holiness. Not just how bad we are, but how good we are not. And more than that, how perfect he is. That's what the law tells us. Does that mean the law doesn't matter? If it's just saying, well, you can't do it. No, no, no. God wants us to obey the law. He says, be holy as I am holy. And he's very serious about that. It's part of what the cross and the resurrection are about, to bring the holiness of Jesus to us. But let's be honest, not only do we know that we don't obey the law, and therefore we're not holy, Romans says that's what the law does, points out our unholiness, but we also know that in addition to not obeying it, we can't ever do it even if we try. And even if we get it right a couple of times, we can never sustain it. There's something so wrong with us that holiness will never be self-manufactured. There is no one righteous, not even one, Paul says to the Roman Christians. No one seeks for God by nature. Do you have days where you do that? Yeah, but not consistently. We mostly miss him. So what do we do? The case, the case in point of how bad it is, it's not funny, but it just makes me laugh at how, how silly it is to think that we can pull off holiness in any way that means anything to God. While Moses was receiving the law on the mountain, it was pretty cool the first few days. The mountain shook, there was fire and smoke and lightning, and God was there, and you could kind of see from a distance, and no one wanted to even touch the mountain or go near because God was there, and they were watching it. But after you've seen the movie four or five times, it's not that interesting. And so what did they do? They took off their jewelry and provisions from Egypt. They gave them to Aaron, and he melted them down. Don't you love that scene when Moses comes back and he goes, hey, listen, I don't know what happened. I took this jewelry and melted it down into liquid and, and out jumped this golden calf. Wouldn't you know it? Who knew? Liar. <laughs> Here's my point. Moses is on the mountain receiving the law, and they're already breaking the first two commandments they don't even know yet. No gods before me and no idols. And they not only have an idol, but they're saying, this is the God. See this cute little cow? This is the God who delivered us from Egypt. Oh, yeah. Are you out of your mind? That's how bad my heart is. 
I don't, I don't make fun of the Israelites. That's my story. And that's your story. That's my heart. I, I didn't just need a Savior when I came to Jesus. I need him now more than ever. It's, it's only the righteousness of Jesus in me that shows me my hopeless helplessness. By, on my own, I'm nothing but a sinner doomed for death. Only through Christ am I a son. Are you a daughter? A treasure of the Most High God. So what's the point about bringing up Pentecost? In short, it's this. The law was given to show us how holy God is and how holy we are not and how holy we will never be by our own efforts. But nearly 1,500 years after Mount Sinai, the Holy Spirit came on that same day. And the Holy Spirit was given not only to guarantee that we are now made holy by Jesus as though we had obeyed the law, but also to guarantee that what we could never do on our own is now possible by the power of the resurrection that now indwells us by the Spirit of Jesus. That is, the holiness we could never gain for ourselves by obeying the law has now been gained for us by Jesus fulfilling the law in our place and giving his Spirit to bring the righteous record of Jesus to bear on our account. More than that, the Holy Spirit now empowers us to do what we could never do, and that is to participate in the holiness that Jesus gave to us by continuing to walk in the righteousness and the freedom that's given to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Essentially, the Holy Spirit has been poured out to obey the law for us and within us. Isn't that a great concept? Let me say it another way, and back to the Sabbath commandment now. In a way, the Ten Commandments have now become, by the Spirit of Jesus, the Ten Promises. What do I mean by that? Now, because of Christ in you, by His Spirit, it's not only no gods before me. Don't do it. Now it's also, you'll delight to have no other gods. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the only true God. And you don't just have me. I'm coming to live inside you. You will delight to have no gods before me. Now it's not just no idols of me. It's more than that. It's you can now have the joyful power to choose to make no idols in my image. For why would you want a reasonable facsimile when you can have the true thing, the true one in you? Why would you want a copy? It used to be only don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now it's you now can, you now will by the Holy Spirit avoid using my name thoughtlessly because of Christ in you and your delight in Him. When you mention His name, your heart will fill up with joy because He lives in you. You see the difference? And when it comes to the fourth commandment, I'm not going to do all ten, but the fourth one says, keep the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. The seventh day, don't forget. That's still true, but it's more than that. It's not just a command, it's a promise. You now will, because Jesus lives in you now, you now will remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, not because you're trying to be more holy, but as a reminder, as a celebration on the Sabbath day that you already are holy and you want to keep walking in that treasured holiness. Do you see the difference? 
The Ten Commandments are now the Ten Promises and an invitation to a life that's satisfying and purposeful and now possible because of the power of the resurrection that by the Holy Spirit has come to live in me and you if we know Christ. So when we observe the Sabbath day, we're, we're, we not only imitate the resting of God at creation, we absolutely are still called to do that, but also we're rem- remembering that we were once slaves to sin. It's not just the Exodus Sabbath, it's also the Deuteronomy Sabbath that makes it a joy. We're, we're remembering that we were once slaves to sin and condemned for our inability to obey the law that always condemned us and only condemned us, and yet now Jesus has freed us completely from the law as though we had obeyed the whole thing ourselves. And he's given us his spirit as a guarantee that it's true. So observing the Sabbath day is no longer looking out the window of my bedroom with my cleats on, wishing I could be out there. It's no longer a duty. It's no longer a deprivation. It's an invitation to review and live out Christ's lordship and his freedom achieved for us with delight. Why wouldn't I want to participate in living out that amazing freedom of Christ in us, the hope of glory? And that's really the essence of the Sabbath day, to stop and recognize, to remember and observe. Yes, to not do or to to step away from the things we normally do. I'll talk about that in a moment. And do observe This freedom. Do remember the last six days. And where was he? Oh, he did that. That was Jesus. That was because he was there. He spoke through me. He spoke to me through you. That was him. This is our good God. And then to say, oh, man. I I, I certainly experienced those things, but I think I missed a lot more than I experienced. God, where, where were you that I didn't see you? What were you saying that I wasn't listening to? And it's only in the context of rejoicing and thanksgiving, as I said already, that that knowing that God was still good and God was still present, God was still loving me while I ignored him. Because I saw some of that, but in a, a broken world in which we live, I miss most of it. Observing the Sabbath is not merely fulfilling the law. It's a gift. It's preserving ourselves. The law is good. Would you say that with me? The law is good. Doesn't that feel weird to say? It's true. It's God's God's view of the law. It's why he gave it. So let me summarize and then make some conclusions that maybe we can work with for our own Shabbat, our own Sabbath. We've said this morning the Sabbath day is not a duty. It's a gift made for mankind. The rabbi said that. Uh, last week from Mark 2.27. Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath to follow the rule. The Sabbath was made as a gift to man. We said today also the Sabbath day is about what we do more than what we don't do. It is both, but it's both. So long it's been, don't, don't do that. You'll make Jesus cry if you go roller skating on the Sabbath. Don't, don't do it. I'm not really joking. <laughs> uh, A third thing we've said is that Sabbath day is an imitation of the God of creation. That's the Exodus version. But we've also said that the Sabbath day preserves our lives as it regularly draws us out of the patterns of the world. A world that holds us captive a lot. And if we didn't have the gift of Sabbath, we would never escape the cycle, would we? We would just keep doing it to do it to do it and never get out. The Sabbath says, no, you have to pause. 
You know, one of the most uh, staggering Sabbaths is, it struck me this week as I, I spoke at a funeral, the funeral of my wife's surrogate father who went to be with Jesus this week. And it struck me just as I got out of the car at the graveside, the Holy Spirit said, a funeral is a Sabbath. And I thought, what? And then it dawned on me. Because a funeral, you, you, you don't get to plan it. Nobody tells you, um, I will be dying on this day. So get your stuff ready. Nobody says that. Death happens. And God redeems it. Well, he already has redeemed death. But a funeral is a stopping. You don't have a choice. You have to stop and you're forced to look at a casket, look at the remains, look at the shell that remains and say, wow, what about eternity? Well, there's more than just now. Funeral is a Sabbath. The Sabbath exposes and, and makes us think about our hearts and exposes our idols, especially the nice ones. The nice ones, no one will ever make us think about whether our children are idols in our lives. Nobody will ever challenge a pastor for, hey, you know what? You love the church more than you love Jesus. Who's ever going to say that to a pastor? But lots of us love the church more than we love Jesus. We love the study of the word more than we love the treasure of the word. Nobody's ever going to ask you about the good stuff. Nobody's going to ask if you, if you love your money more than you love the giver of your money. As long as you hide it well, nobody will ask you. Because you see, they're blessings. They're blessings from God that can so quickly just replace God. A.B. Simpson, his, one of his famous hymns, once it was the blessing, right? Now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once the gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus and Jesus everything. The Sabbath day exposes our idols. Have you ever thought this, as far as we said, Sabbath is usually about good things. Repentance is the way we do with evil. When we know there is sin in our lives that's displeasing to Jesus, we repent. Knowing that we're not condemned, we say, I want to turn from this. I, Holy Spirit, you've shown me this is wrong. This is contrary to what Jesus asked me to do. I turn from this sin and I turn toward Jesus. Repentance is for the evil things in our lives that keep us from Jesus. Sabbath is for the good things. Sabbath is, is a review of the blessings and to kind of, in one way, comb through them and say, do I love any of these more than the one who's given them? Or do I recognize that he's the source and all praises to him and there's way more where that came from? You see? Repentance is for sin. Sabbath is for blessings. The Sabbath day must be a one-day-a-week observance. It must begin there in order to then become, as Pastor Brian has taught us, a formational discipline in all of life. There's one Sabbath day. It's supposed to overflow then into the way we live the other six days. It's supposed to be a, a day lived differently as a pattern for and the way we think of the other six days. You see, Sabbath is about more than what we do on Sunday. It's a way to begin to live Godwardly, if that's a word, every day. On the Sabbath day, we're called to step aside from the six days and the patterns and the agendas of those days in order to take time to recognize the work of God over those past six days every week. But we do this on the Sabbath day in order to live, I'll make up another word, sabbatically. 
We we do this discipline on the Sabbath day. We observe the Sabbath so that the other days can be lived sabbatically. Every day is not the Lord's day, even though all the days belong to him. But Sunday is called the Lord's day. Sunday is called Resurrection Day so that the disciplines of that day will train our hearts to live differently in the other six days. We've tended to think of Sabbath keeping as what we don't do on the Lord's day as opposed to what we do on all of the other days. The Sabbath day, let me say it another way, is an inventory. Sabbath activities, what we do, are one way of taking inventory of our lives to make sure that God is connected to every facet of our lives, not just church. This is not some legalistic list that we comb through, and no one can give you the list except the Holy Spirit. The worst thing we can do to Sabbath is make a bunch of rules to say, okay, everybody do this. We would miss so much of Jesus if that's what we did. It's not a legalistic list we comb through. It's an ongoing inventory of the soul. It begins on the Sabbath day and overflows into sabbatical living. Does that make sense? Sabbath is taking inventory five ways. I'm not going to preach these. I'm just going to list them. We can do Sabbath through physical repose. We can take inventory just by stopping and being quiet and using that quietness not to not do, but to look to him in our rest, in the quiet. Sabbath inventory takes place in soul reflection, taking time to consider what's happened to me, what, where has God been, what, what's, what's going on in this fast-paced world in which I live. Sabbatical Inventory takes place through spiritual refocus. We live in the world and we start thinking, well, maybe that's true and maybe that's true and maybe that's true. But spiritual refocus brings us back and lets us recalibrate before the one who says he is the way and the truth and the life. Sabbath uh, inventory takes place through gratitude rehearsal. Sabbath is a time to look at the different aspects of our lives and say, thank you, God. Thank you for the ways I saw you at work. Thank you for the things you did. Thank you for the things you didn't do. Help me to understand what you're not doing and why. Help me to know that. Thank you for the things you did and I never saw. Show me those things, Father. I want my eyes to be open. Gratitude rehearsal. One of my favorite Sabbath verses is Psalm 118, 23, which says, this is the Lord's doing. What's the Lord's doing? Well, you tell me. Look at your life. What's the, what has he done? Where has he done it? Only you can tell the story. This is the Lord's doing. This thing, that person, that activity, that circumstance, that blessing, that trial. This is the Lord's work, and it's marvelous in my eyes. This is fantastic. That's a Sabbath verse. And finally, Sabbath inventory takes place through source recognition. Taking time away to stop, to pull away from my six-day week and say, wait a minute. (laughs) Everyone was clapping for me. I I didn't do that. I didn't do that. That was him. Jesus said, without him, we can do nothing. Well, I'm not taking credit for that. That didn't come from me. What do we pray in the song? Come thou fount of every blessing. Sabbath is the time we stop, we pull away from the accolades and the achievements. Success can be deadly if we don't recognize the source. But Sabbath is God's gift to say, just remember, I know I did that for you. Do you know? When you know and I know, you're going to love this, and there's more to come. But don't ever think it was you. 
Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12 is, is another prayer that we can use for source recognition. Oh Lord, you will ordain peace with us? No, for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. Another translation says, everything we have accomplished has been done for us. Everything we have accomplished. Sabbath is for source recognition. It's probably more than that as well, but that's all I've learned so far, so that's all I can tell you. <laughs> Some final thoughts and guidelines for Sabbathing. Can we turn Sabbath from a noun into a verb? Shabbat shalom. How do you Sabbath? How do you Sabbath? How will you Sabbath knowing that it's God's gift to you and to me? Some thoughts, first of all. One of the most common spiritual disciplines Pastor Brian has talked to us about these practice, practice tools. One of the most common spiritual discipline is food fasting. Now, food is not the only way to fast, but it's a powerful way to fast because food is a powerful blessing in, in our lives. It's easy, isn't it, to love food more than the provider of the food, the Lord God, isn't it? We love food more than him. Food fasting helps us not only to recognize God as the provider of our food, not a grocery store, but also to test our hearts to see if we're more satisfied in him than in our next meal. Jesus fasted from food, of course, but fasting isn't just about food. It's just one of the common ways to fast. There are all kinds of fastings that are really a part of sabbatical living, not the Sabbath day. Sabbath day is not for fasting normally. The Sabbath day is a, a time for feasting, okay? But if Sabbath day overflows into our other six days, there are disciplines whereby we can continually rehearse our freedom from the, the, the blessing idols and remember the source, the remember the fount of every blessing. Jesus didn't just fast from food, he fasted from sleep. Remember, even when he was exhausted after a day of ministry, meeting need after need after need, food was, a rest was important. He was dead tired, but he often gave up and went to a lonely place. Why? to seek replenishment not from sleep but from the Father directly. I want to be with the Father. I need more than sleep will give me tonight. I need to be refreshed by my Father. So Jesus fasted from sleep even when he was exhausted. Fasting, do you know the word selah? Do you know that word in the Psalms? Some of the, uh, the Psalms were written down as songs as well as prayers. And so if you, there are some Psalms, I can't recite one right now, but there are some Psalms where when you read them, the, the, the lyrics of the song are written down, and every, every once in a while, after five or six lines, there'll be a word off in the margin that says S-E-L-A-H. That's a music term that says, take a break, as the Doobie Brothers said, listen to the music. Take a break and just listen to the music. Don't sing. Don't say any words right now. Just take a pause. Selah means pause. Take a pause. Fasting is selah, not just food fasting, but taking a break from any of the blessings of God. We take a break from food in, in food fasting, not because food is bad, but because food wants to be Lord. The blessing wants to displace the blesser, and Sabbath helps us separate the two. Fasting from anything, taking a break from anything that God has given to us, any gift that he's given is intended as a discipline to point us back to God, God's provision, God's control, God's purposes for the use of his good and perfect gifts. Just like the Sabbath day when we come away from our work, as the scripture talks about, 
We come away from our work on the seventh day to celebrate the God who delivered us from slavery to sin. So any type of fasting or spiritual discipline are daily ways, not Sabbath day ways, but six-day ways as well to take a Sabbath, to take a break, to take a break from a blessing in order to refocus on the blesser, God, and what he's doing in our lives, and to stay free from the control of other really good but potential Lord in our lives, especially the good things. As an example of that, remember that the original command here in the commandment is with regard to work, which God created as good. Remember, work was in the garden for Adam and Eve before there was ever sin. Okay, so work is, a, is an ordained by God, and it's, it's for good and for our pleasure. Work was made difficult and onerous and burdensome by sin, but before sin, work was a joy. Can you imagine now uh, when, when Jesus comes and, and places us in the new Jerusalem, if you're a gardener, for instance, can you imagine getting down on your hands and knees and digging in the dirt and planting those seeds and everything you plant grows and there's no weeds and you never sweat and your knees don't hurt and your back doesn't ache and the temperature is perfect and every planting of every seed says, oh, God is so good. That's what Eden was like and that's what's coming. Work is good. Law is good. These were good gifts that have been ruined by us and our brokenness. We Sabbath from our working. We fast from good gifts, not because they're bad, but because work, like all of God's gifts, work is God's. Work is good because it's God's. We step away. We Sabbath from this good work and our control over the work that could ruin it. We Sabbath from work's control over us overworking. And then we offer that work back to God on our Sabbath day. We thank him for the work he's given, and we offer our work back to him to be done his way. And, and along with the work, we offer the worker back to him on the Sabbath. But there are many ways to Sabbath beyond the Sabbath day. For example, let me just make, list a few. Tithing, in a way, is a Sabbath from the slavery of controlling our money or being controlled by our money, treating it as our own ending up measuring our value by how much money we have. Tithing separates us from that slavery. The spiritual discipline of reading God's Word is a Sabbath from slavery to the wisdom of the world. Everybody thinks they have an answer. It's only God's Word that allows us to have a filter through which to filter those answers and say, no, this is the truth. Prayer is a Sabbath from the slavery of the multiple voices in our lives to refocus on that, that still, small voice of the Father. Giving, just general giving of our things, not just our finances, is a Sabbath from the slavery of materialism and collecting and consuming. Serving is a Sabbath from the slavery of self-focus. Meditation is a Sabbath from the, the slavery of mindlessness and idle talk and, and words and thoughts. Solitude is a Sabbath from the slavery of the need to follow the crowd. Silence is a Sabbath not just from noise, but from slavery to noise and our discomfort with quiet. Silence is an invitation back to the good things. There are so many ways, aren't there, not to pay attention to God, so many ways to miss God and become enslaved again to good gifts without even knowing it, without ever intending to. We just never stop and examine it. So Sabbath is God's chance to stop and ask him, what is this? What am I doing? 
And why am I doing that? Is this really your purpose? The Sabbath day is an invitation to train our souls to maintain the freedom that Christ has given us, not just on the Sabbath day, but every day, and to never be controlled by anything or anyone more than we are bonded to him. Sabbath is not a duty, loved ones. It's a gift. And the Sabbath day each week gives us time to consider ways for us to Sabbath or live sabbatically on the other six days. We rest on the Sabbath day celebrating God's work in our lives by taking inventory of the potential points of slavery in our lives, especially from the good gifts. Then on the other six days, we can more clearly fast from those blessings in our lives and respond to them differently and not be enslaved by them. The Sabbath day leads us to sabbatical practices or spiritual disciplines that help us continue in the freedom that Christ has gained for us. So specifically, in the command, we step away from our work on the Sabbath day, acknowledging God's control over our work, thanking him for the fruit of our labor, so that on the other days we do our work, as Paul said to the Colossians, as working for the Lord, not for men. In this way, we monitor whether we become slaves to our work or whether we're working in the freedom of God's gift of work to us. On the Sabbath day, we also celebrate God's work in all areas of our lives, not just our work, but our family and our relationships, our finances, our resources, our homes, our attitudes. We can take full inventory with the freedom to know that we're always accepted, always dearly loved as we expose these things that we love more than him. As I said, especially the good things. So a couple of guidelines and I'll, we'll be done. Guidelines for Sabbathing. Sabbath needs to become a verb in my life in areas where I'm most challenged to seek and find God. What are those areas? I can't tell you those areas. You can't tell me those areas. We have to go before him and say, where have I missed you? Where am I cheapening my life? Where am I lessening my joy? Where am I missing your presence? If Sabbath does involve a Selah, another guideline to remember is make sure that you, just, you don't just withdraw. Sabbath is not what you don't do only. It is what you do. Okay? Don't just move back from something. Move toward another thing. Turning from and turning to. Enjoy stopping something. Enjoy taking a pause. But remember to pursue something that moves toward God. For example, now I want to be careful here and just give a couple of examples because I don't want to give you another set of rules, right? Does anybody deliver stuff on a bicycle for a living here? Anybody ride a bike to deliver stuff? Okay, good. I thought, I, I said, I bet, I bet no one does. Only in New York City do they do that. If you ride a bike to make deliveries for a living, it might be helpful in terms of the Sabbath day. It might be helpful to have a Sabbath day be the day you don't ride a bike. Why? Because you make God cry if you do? No. Because you'll miss the chance to examine what's life about riding a bike for a living to deliver those things. What's it about? What, what's God doing? Where is he in this? And why does he, why did he give me this work to do? Take a break from the bike riding. Go for a walk. Read a book. Drive a car if you want, I guess. But don't ride a bike. Think about riding a bike. Consider why you ride a bike. On the other hand, if you're a carpenter, Sabbath might mean not doing carpentry that day, and instead go get the bike from the guy who delivers stuff on a bike and ride his bike that day, because you never ride a bike. You're a carpenter. You're always carpentering. I, I'm not trying to be facetious. Do you understand what I mean? It's taking a break from a good thing to understand why it's a better thing, why it's God's thing, 
If your vocation is to be a chef or a short order cook, then on the Sabbath day, consider from time to time celebrating God's gift of your work by stepping away from cooking. Don't cook that day. Cook the day before and eat it as leftovers or something. I don't know. Consider ways in which you can cook for God's glory on the other six days. If you're a mom, always with children, perhaps defining your value by how well you do as a mom or how well your children like you. It's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? Mom is an impossible vocation to do without the power of the Spirit. Consider taking some time away from your children to redefine your identity. If you sit for a living, consider standing on the Sabbath day. It's that simple, really. Do something other than what you have done. As a pastor, don't be shocked by this. Please come back to church next week. I often don't read my devotional discipline on Sunday. Why? Because there's so much in me already. I just take time to stop and stop thinking God gives me credit for that and just meditate and recite what's already in me, what I read in the last six days. And just let's take a look, uh, take time to, to digest that first. I don't read the Bible every day. I take a pause on the Sabbath day. And of course, we do it together here. That's, but it's not the same as what I do on my daily discipline. I take a break. If you have no choice about working on the Sabbath, God's not a legalist. Fine. But he does insist on you receiving the gift. Find a day that can be Sabbath for you. And mark it. And don't miss it. Don't rob your soul in that way. The Sabbath begins as a day to remember that God's freed us from slavery. And the Sabbath day keeps us from going back into that slavery by the soul inventory. Remember that the Sabbath day was such a powerful reality that the first Christians changed the seventh day Saturday Sabbath to the first day Sunday Sabbath. And they called it the Lord's Day. More than that, they called it Resurrection Day. Not just Easter Sunday, but every Lord's Day they called Resurrection Day for this very reason. Just as God finished the first creation in six days and rested on the seventh day as the Jews observed. So now, for those with faith in Christ, God has finished the recreation through the resurrection of Jesus on the first day. The resurrection is our mile marker, our Sabbath day that gives us the privilege of sabbatical living. This is important to God, so it must be important to us. Use this Sabbath day, will you please? After you leave, use this Sabbath day to change pace, to step aside from the good things, to recognize that they're from him and what he's done, and thank him for them, the fount of every blessing. Recognize God's presence and purpose and power, and don't miss out on what your soul desperately needs in a world that wants you to do anything but pay attention to what God is doing and where he's moving. Find ways to make the Sabbath day work for you. Don't do what others do, and don't follow a set of rules. Find ways to make the Sabbath day a joyful inventory of your soul handed back to God. Not a duty, not just a discipline, but a delight. That's what gifts are for, right? Repeat after me. Shabbat Shalom. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good and perfect gifts. We thank you most of all for Jesus. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and welcomed us into his kingdom. He is the son that you love. And now because of him, we are the sons and daughters that you love. We bless your name. This day, Father, remove the duty from Sabbath. This day, may it be the marker of this resurrection day, that Sabbath is a delight. It's an invitation. 
It's a welcome to taste and see that the Lord is good and His law is good and the Sabbath is a blessing and a gift. Teach us this way, O Lord our God, and shape Sabbath for us that our lives may be rich according to your good purpose and pleasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.